Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I came to Indiana. Y'all had a blizzard. Took me four days, four states, and there was four people in the service. Very anxious. I have post-traumatic miss-my-flight syndrome. Does anyone experience this nowadays with our current flights? In fact, we're all pretty stressed out. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Would you agree with me that it's a little bit more stressful right now in our world, and our culture? We're all a little bit wound If you're wound up tight, raise your hand. If the reason that you're wound up tight is the person sitting next to you, keep it up. (laughs) I see you online raising your hands. I see you. Uh, The American Psychiatric Association did a poll. They asked us what we're stressed out over. You want to hear the five things that we're most stressed out over? Here you are. Five to one. Five number. uh, The fifth one is our health. We are worried about our health. I don't know if you're like me. Anyone over 50, raise your hand. Do it online. The second you get over 50, you become an expert on the spine, right? I have three older brothers. This is all we talk about. We talk about our glute. We're like, my piriformis is clenched. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? The second thing we're stressed out, number four, <clears throat> would be safety. How many parents? We got parents here? Raise your hand. Come on, Yvonne. Raise your hand. Okay. So I'm not really stressed about my safety. I'm stressed about my kid's safety. So have you ever caught yourself doing this? Your kid is driving. Once they drive, it just goes downhill from there. It's just the, and you text them, please do not look at your phone while driving. And you're te- <laughs> If you don't get that joke, there's no hope for you. Number three... We're stressed about our finances. The interest rates are going. The crypto is falling out. The debt is rising. There's an oil problem. And China's taking over the world through TikTok. (laughs) Number two. Number two thing we're stressed about. Politics. (laughs) I ain't going to say anything about that. I'm not stupid. (laughs) The number one thing we're stressed over, it's not our health, it's not our safety, it's not our finances, it's not our politics, we're stressed about that. We are stressed about our relationships. Everyone's got some drama going. We've got conflict, people are quitting work, and people are moving, and people are gone. It's just drama, drama. We have become a nation of Jerry Springer shows. (laughs) Why are we so stressed out? Why are we wound so tight? General anxiety disorder is on the rise. Panic attacks are on the rise. We're over-medicated. We're underdiagnosed, and we are so stressed out. Maybe just, maybe we're missing something. Maybe, just maybe, there's something that Jesus wants us to do that would actually allow us to get the peace that Jesus talked about. We're in this great series. I love this series you guys are doing, Jesus Follower, Christian Practices for a New Way of Life. It's the simple, doable, accessible things. Last week, Pastor John talked about submission. You've got to go listen to this sermon. Even if you heard it last week, listen to it twice. The reason is you've got to get yourself in the right position for the four activities that come after and to really work. You can actually do all four of these activities and many more, and they become just religion, and they become 
become an extra burden and you'll get more anxiety. You'll worry that you have more anxiety. But if you get that first step where you really trust God, you take the step of trusting, what happens is the next four things become life and abundant life to you. We're going to talk about seeking God's word next week. We're going to learn how to demystify the scholarship that is the Bible and actually see how life-giving the truth is. And then we're going to learn how to get our life to be very significant. You want your life to mean something? you got to learn how to serve and to serve like Jesus. And then we're going to finish by lowering the drama in our life. We're going to get higher cohesion, higher unity, higher intimacy by learning how to love one another. But my week, this week right here, we're going to talk about the one thing I think can unlock the secret to lowering your stress. And, and it's something that many of you have tried and you stopped doing because it didn't work. Many of you have thought, I should do that, and you feel guilty that you're not doing it. And many of us think it's something that it really is not. This week, we're going to talk about prayer. And I want to tell you, if we could just put a little sign on our foreheads and we could see how much we're all praying, we would not be surprised about how much we're stressed out. Because I believe if you want to make someone feel guilty, talk to them about how much they're praying. Everyone thinks they need to pray more. Everyone actually doesn't pray as much as they know they should pray. And the reason that we do all that is because our concept about prayer is wrong. I am an expert in prayer. I am so qualified in this category. I am so good at teaching this. And you want to know why I'm good at teaching prayer? You want to know why I this? Because I am horrible at praying. You see, you really learn, need to, if, you're not, if you're not praying enough, you need to learn from someone who's overcome the not praying enough. And the reason that I don't pray enough is because I have the A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. <laughs> Some of you are looking at it like, like, he had to tell us. We already could tell that. See, I'm not good at prayer. You don't want to learn about prayer from someone who's naturally good. Have you ever met one of these people that are naturally good at prayer? They're praying all the time, and they're kind of floating through life. Have you seen this? They, they just glide with the Holy Spirit, and they come up to you like, I've been praying for you, and they never blink. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they just never, they're like, yeah, the Lord spoke to me about you in my secret prayer closet of Shekinah glory, and your children, I know all about your children. You're like, get away from me. <laughs> I'm not that person. When I pray, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to seek you today. My Father in heaven, Hollywood be the grocery list. I need some bread and I'm bananas. We want to get the, the really green bananas because they go bad fast. And peaches and milk. I wonder if we have milk. I should call Kelly and see if we got. All right, I was praying. Does anyone else do this? You start in prayer and end up in a things to do list? How do you overcome that? I think. Jesus has got the answer for us today. How to pray, a simple guide for ordinary people. Okay, if, you, if you're next to an ordinary person, turn to the person next to you, he's talking about you. Just say that to him, he's talking about you. Go ahead, say it to him. You guys are so funny, you guys are so funny. We came to church to learn how to love each other, not to speak to one another. <laughs> I never look at this person, not even at lunch today. Listen, let's just all lower our condemnation lower and, and, and look at this with, we got to look at this with fresh eyes. 
Because if we actually go to where Jesus taught about prayer, we're going to find that prayer isn't what we think it is. It isn't as hard as we think it is. And actually, if we do it the way Jesus taught, it really does lower our stress level. The context here is from the passage in Matthew chapter 5. What's Matthew chapter 5? This is the B attitudes. Uh, you've heard of that. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most famous places where Jesus has a theological discord. In fact, at the beginning of his ministry in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he has this long section, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus kind of says, hey, you've heard it taught this. I'm going to bring some correction. Here's really what you need to hear. It's got this great section where Jesus just kind of lays down all of his opinions about the most important topics in our life. And during this part, someone comes up to him and they ask him, they say, Jesus, hey, what's your opinion on prayer? How should we pray? Now, to understand Jesus' answer, first of all, let's go back and let's talk about how Jewish people prayed when Jesus was asked this answer, because it was really, really more like, like we think prayer is. Jewish people prayed, and they did two things. First, they started off with Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this was a really important thing to the Jewish people. They would start off and they'd say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They were monotheistic, and they were surrounded by people that were polytheistic. So they started their day by memorizing a huge chunk of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, and they would proclaim it. So this is kind of where we get this idea that prayer is about memorization and it's about theology and it's really difficult and you gotta, and then guess what? After they were done praying Deuteronomy, then they would have about 18 more memorized prayers. These memorized prayers that they would say every single day, they're called, I got the name here, the Amidah. Now the Amidah is just a Hebrew word that means standing. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Memorize a bunch of stuff and then you just stand there and you say it. All right, everyone stand up. We're going to memorize all 13. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Jesus takes this memorization, this standing prayer that was done by men, not everyone. He says, no, 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 no. He does what he does. He condenses it and creates access to it. He, he refers to it. Some of the stuff you can find in those standing prayers. But, but like all of his teaching he gets to the essence of it in a way that makes it so much more powerful. He starts off by telling us what not to do. We're in Matthew chapter 6. If you're following your Bible, and I hope you are, we're starting right in verse 5. If you're still with me? Give me an amen. amen. Okay, a few of you are. Okay, here we go. Verse 5. How do you pray? He says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites. Who is he talking about here? He's talking about the, the religious leaders. Every town had a teacher of the law, and they had a meeting place. We later on, we, 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 they developed that into the synagogues you see now. But in those synagogues, you had an expert, a teacher of the law. This was the person that would almost always be in opposition to Jesus whenever he came into town to teach. So he starts off with them. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. He's talking about Jewish religious leaders. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, you ha they have received their reward in full. So it's not a show he's saying, and it's not something that you do ever to impress someone else. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, there's a something in the human uh, condition that wants to use our relationship with God to try to impress our relationships with each other. And this is not what prayer is at all. We, you've all heard this. We've all, if you've been in, in church for any amount of time and gone to any sort of prayer meeting or been say, you, you meet these people that, that I, I call it preaching because it's preaching and prayer combined. Have you ever heard a preaching person? 
They're like, oh, Lord, in Genesis, the inertia of your sovereign will was first expressed in Adam and Eve's fall when you came into the garden and shut up. We get it. You've read the Bible. You got some $3 theological words. Prayer is never for preaching. Okay? Now, he transitions from rebuking the religious leaders in the Jewish faith to rebuking the Greek religious people. So they're surrounded by all these Greek gods in this Roman culture. And so he goes after these guys. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. Why did the pagans babble? They were an appeasement religion, okay? So they were worried that if they didn't address every single one of the gods by all of their right titles, and at the end of it, they had to address Caesar by all of his titles, because they also believed, or at least they practiced, that Caesar was a god, that they wouldn't actually have their prayers answered. They would anger the gods. So the, the, the pagan prayers were extremely long, because they went through all of these different gods and all the titles for the gods. So he says, when you pray, don't be like that. Don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because because of their many words, many titles, many appeasements. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. God's not into titles. He doesn't need to be appeased. He doesn't need to be convinced. He doesn't need to be wooed. God is already in the position to want to answer your prayer. This is great news. We haven't even learned a single thing from Jesus yet about actually how to pray, and we've already learned a few really great news. First of all, good prayers are not lengthy prayers. You don't get more by saying more. And good prayer has nothing to do with the time of day. Do you notice here? He doesn't tell them what time of day to pray. Praying in the morning, he modeled that. There's some psalms about praying in the morning. There's nothing wrong with praying in the morning. I used to go to a church, though, where they would have the prayer meeting at 5 a.m., even Jesus didn't come to that prayer meeting, people. <laughs> it was so painful. And I asked the lady one time, I was a youth pastor, and I was up late at night hanging out with teenagers, and I would stumble into that thing, and I would just be filled with Satan. I mean, I was just horrible. And I would just be so grumpy, and there was crust in my eyes. And I asked her one time, I said, why do we do this so early? And she looked at me with that intensity. She was one of those floating people that never blinked. And she said, if it's not painful, revival won't come. That's not in the Bible, people. <laughs> Jesus said, don't babble on. And he mentions no alarm clocks. This is stinking good news. Then he gets into the form of how we should pray. It gets even more powerful. Watch this, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Now, what you don't see in your English translation is the word father there is an Aramaic word, which is really interesting. The Bible's got three languages in it. It's got Hebrew, it's got Greek, and it's got a little bit of Aramaic, and most of Aramaic is when Jesus is talking to someone. And what's interesting is the first language that the Bible was translated into was Greek, the New Testament. And, and almost all the manuscripts we have of the New Testament are, are in Greek. And when they translated this into Greek, they kept that Aramaic word. That Aramaic word was so important, they didn't translate it and put it in the Greek word. Now, why is it important? First of all, it's important because God is sometimes described earlier on as our father. He's described with fatherly qualities, but Jesus is taking this huge leap, and he's saying, he's not just like a father, he is my father. He's my Abba. 
And what's powerful about this is that the Hebrews believed that their language was anointed. Their language was righteous. Their, their language was special. This is why to this day, devout Hebrews pray in Hebrew. Devout Muslims pray in Arabic. But Jesus prays in Aramaic. You know what this means? There's not a holy language. What this means is God speaks every language. There's not one language more anointed, more holy, more righteous than any other language. Our God is a God who hears prayers in a thousand different languages and more. We used to, we used to isn't that a beautiful thing about God? We used to, I used to work with students, college students, and when we did a conference, I would get all the international students from all the different nations, and I barely speak English, people. I don't, I'm not bilingual. I'm unilingual, and maybe not even that. And, and I, I wouldn't understand a single word except for the Spanish guy. I got like burrito and padre. I got those two. And, and, and they would get up there, and they would pray before the conference, and Swahili, and Spanish, and Russian, and it was something I couldn't understand one word, but I got it all. It was beautiful. And you knew God got it. I'm telling you, my friends, God hears your tongue. He hears your accent. He hears your heart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is such typical Jesus, 29 words. He's taken all the prayer of the Old Testament, all the prayer of the Jewish history, and he's combined it into 29 powerful words, and they're perfect. They, there's not a word you can add to it, and there's not a word you can take away without diminishing it. It's, in fact, I will say, if you master these 29 words, your life will change, and your kid's life will change, and your job will change. Your marriage will change. Put a, put a line in your Bible right there. Circle those first 29 words. Highlight it in yellow and pink. And in the margin of your Bible, you draw a unicorn. Because <laughs> those 29 words work. Why, why do they work? I'll get to that in a second. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Oh, praise God. God is not keto. <laughs> and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, it just wants to be clear. He's not talking about finances here. If you forgive when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. People get confused on this little verse. I'm going to tell you exactly what that little ending means. He goes, don't just pray it, do it. It's exactly what John taught on last week. And it's just so important that our belief result in action. So he said, just don't pray it. If you want the prayer to be powerful, pray for the forgiveness, then do it. And if you pray and do it, then you're going to find the power of it. Why, why study this? Why learn this? There's two big ideas here. The first one idea is in that first 29 uh, words. And the second one is in that uh, give us and forgive us and lead us not part of it. And why, why should we do this? Uh, one of my favorite scholars, a guy named Kenneth Bailey, he wrote a great book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. You should read this book. It's very accessible to the layperson. It's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And, and he talks about when he's first kind of teaching these concepts, he had a chance uh, early, early in the fall of communism to go and teach seminary in Russia. And he had a small group of Russian students. And as he was teaching them some of these concepts, he realized that none of them grew up in Christian homes. 
He started to get curious. How in the world did they actually become seminary students? And, and one, one, one gal was particularly bright. He said, listen, um, did you, were, your, were your parents, did they have a secret um, you know, church, a home church. And she said, no, there's no church in my village at all. She said, well, did they have faith at all? I said, no, all my relatives are atheists. Was there an elder in your village, some old person? She said, no, no one in my village talked about God or they were afraid to say anything about God. She said, how in the world did you become a Christian? She said, I went to a funeral one time and at this funeral, they allowed someone to say the Lord's Prayer. I heard this prayer once. You see, my contention about that story is if we actually heard what Jesus said here, the problem with the Lord's Prayer is we're too familiar with it. We rattle it off before things and it's ceremonies and church services. I think if we came to it with fresh eyes and we stopped thinking about prayer the way we think about prayer, it's this duty we have to do and I don't do enough of it and God probably hates me. And we actually see what Jesus said here. It it could take us on a journey. See, this girl heard this prayer once and it took her on a journey to salvation. What would it take you? Where would it take you? There's two big ideas here. One is simply this. Daily prayer produces a perspective upgrade. When we pray the way Jesus taught us how to pray, it changes our perspective. And this is very important because, my friend, you have no control of anything else except your perspective. How many here have tried to raise a child and learned you have no control over anything? <laughs> How many here have tried to change a spouse? How many here have tried to change a coworker, a boss, an employee? How many here have ever tried to change our government? Uh, Louis Zamperini, you guys know who Louis Zamperini is? He's, he's a World War II vet. Uh, he went to, he, he uh, crashed, the airplane, his airplane crashed in the Pacific. He held the record for surviving in a raft in the ocean. Just when he thought things were going to get better because a plane came to rescue him, they realized the plane was actually a Japanese plane. So he went from almost dying on the ocean to being thrown in Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp, and he was tortured for years and years. Afterwards, he tells this beautiful, incredible story of finding Christ and, and forgiving his torturers. Louis was a friend of our founding pastor, Ray Johnston. So he would come around Bayside when I first started uh, leading there. And uh, he was just the funniest guy in his 90s. And just one time um, he shared that one of his biggest regrets is because he, he had to interrupt his Olympic career and his college career to go into the army. And he never earned his college degree. And so Ray's friends with all, he's on the board of Azusa Pacific, this Christian school in California. So he talks to the board and they're like, we'll give him an honorary doctorate. So one Easter, we're, we're in this huge auditorium, thousands of people are there. We bring Louis up. Louis is like 96 years old. All the dignitaries come out with all the robes on and they give him this honorary doctorate. He's crying and laughing and he's so honored. He gets up the microphone. He said, if there's anyone here that's got appendicitis, I'll perform the surgery because I'm a doctor now. <laughs> just, just meet me in the back after service. It's a 96-year-old torture victim, and he's full of life. If you read this story, when they crashed the airplane, there's only three survivors. One of them, a guy named Phil, is one of his best friends. He's horribly injured. He shouldn't even have survived the crash. And then there's another guy named Mac. And Mac's not injured at all. But Mac 
starts to freak out. The second they get in the raft, he starts to freak out. He's, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Louis is injured. Phil is injured. On the first night, they pass out. They almost go into a coma. Mac doesn't uh, sleep that first night, and he eats all of the food supplies. Just in a manic state, he eats it all. He condemns them to death almost by, by eating their food supplies. Mac is the most healthy, but because his perspective isn't right, guess who dies? Mac dies because his mind, Louis says it this way, Phil survived because he was a Christian and he just, even in his injury, he just kept singing hymns, 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 hymns. And he said, he stayed alive with hymns and I stayed alive because I was mean and stubborn. (laughs) My friend, every single day, you need to get your head right. Every single day, you need to get your perspective to upgrade. What is this perspective God wants you to have? Look at these three things. First of all, he wants you to know your place. You're God's child. He wants you to start off by saying, my father in heaven. I don't know if you had a great father or if you had a bad father or you had an okay father or you had no father at all. God wants you to know you do have a father. And your father is not like any other father. He's not like an earthly father. He's not limited. He's not cruel. He doesn't make mistakes. He's always present. You have a heavenly father. Start there. What's your place? You're God's child. What's your protection? Your father isn't just any ordinary father. He has all the authority of heaven and earth. He sits on the throne of sovereignty. He knows everything that's coming at you. He knows everything that will come to you. He knows everything that's going to happen to you. All your days are numbered. When you are in the heights, he is there. The psalmist says when you're in the depths, he's there. When you're in the east, he's there. When you're in the west, he's there. Not only are you God's child, you are completely, totally and absolutely cared for and looked after every moment of your life. You have not just a father, not just a heavenly father, but you have a hallowed father that's holy, separate, different, completely and entirely better. Why is it we don't start with bread? Why is it we don't start with with forgiveness? Because God wants you to get up every single morning and say, I've got a father. My father sits on the throne in heaven and my father's given me a purpose. I am to advance God's kingdom. My friend, you've got a father. You've got his authority and your calling in life, your purpose in life, why you were knit in your mother's womb could not be higher. You... Get up every day. You don't go to earn a paycheck. You don't go to get a promotion. You don't go to get a degree. You don't go to get a grade. You go because your father's kingdom is coming. And your job is to have his will be done in your day, in your life, as it is in heaven. This is where worship actually starts. So we think of worship wrong too. We think of worship as singing. I love you guys' worship team. Do you guys love your worship band? Do you love it? I'm sure it's great. And Yvonne too. Avon, it's great. We have a great worship team where I come from, man. And we are so blessed. I, I got saved in the 1980s. Anyone here become a Christian in the 1980s? Where's my 1980s people? Our worship was horrible. It was horrible. 
We didn't know it was horrible. First of all, when you got saved in the 80s, they, they said, first thing, have faith in Christ. Second thing, get baptized. Third thing, here's a janky old guitar. And everyone learned to play the guitar. You were not a Christian unless you played a big acoustic guitar. And our worship band, we didn't have keyboards and drums and all the basses and stuff. It was just seven, eight, nine people all playing a guitar and none of them strumming the same. And sometimes it wasn't tuned right and strings would just break and we'd keep playing. And we sang these horrible, janky songs, these cutesy songs. Love them in the morning when you see the sun arising. How many know that song? Someone, come on. You're afraid to admit it because you raise your hand. You're saying, I'm 100 years old. <laughs> Love them in the evening because it took you through the day. And in the in-between time when you, we had hand motions. We sang with hand motions. And we wept. We were like, I love you guys in the morning and the evening and in between time. You promised to stay. You see, we do worship so well now, I'm afraid we might be just singing. Because it sounds good. And the rhythm's on. And these guys know how to do all the different parts. I want to tell you, man, one of the best and most powerful breakthroughs you can have is when you realize worship ain't singing. You don't need a band to do it. Here's what Tim Keller says. I love this quote. Praise comes out of our position as sons and daughters. Without our father, there is no hallowed be your name. When you realize you've got a father in heaven who loves you, you can worship anywhere and anytime. Now, I encourage you, when these guys play, don't just, oh, it's too good, I'm not going to worry about it. You come in here, you open your heart every single weekend, you sing out, you say, Kurt, I'm not a very good singer. Why do you think we turn the music up? <laughs> okay, we got to keep going here. First big idea is a perspective upgrade. I get my head right. I'm a child of God. I've got God's authority. I'm on God's mission. I get my head right. Then I get a daily uh, uh, provision uplift. Daily prayer, when we do it the way Jesus taught, produces a provision uplift. I actually can come to God and realize that he cares about what I need. One of the titles for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. And uh, that's an old worship song too. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That was like an upbeat song back in the day. I was like, we thought we were rocking. And anyway, it's like an old hoedown in here this morning. I'm singing so many stupid songs. We think Jehovah Jireh is about finances because that's just the American way we think. Oh, I can't pay my rent. I can't pay my mortgage. I need some of this. My kid needs this. So we got a medical bill. Jehovah Jireh, where are you? I need this help financially. But Jehovah Jireh doesn't start off in finance. Of course it covers finances. Jehovah Jireh starts off when, when God gets that title, when he provides the sacrifice. In other words, Jehovah Jireh means God wants to provide everything for you. We have an active provision, God. God's, God's not holding back. He's not stingy. God's like, no, 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 every single morning, come to me and tell me what you need. I'm ready. I'm, I, this is what I like to do. This is the sort of father I am. If you want to provide for your children, how much more does our heavenly father want to provide for you is one of the things that Jesus teaches. So he goes through the three big things that God wants to give you. First of all, what do I need? Physical health. I need my daily bread. I said it before. God is not keto. He's carbo. 
Bread is important to God. God loves to feed us. We tend to think that our physical body, God doesn't care about it. He just wants our heart and he wants our spirit. But God loves every part of you and he starts with your physical body. When you get resurrected as a Christian, you're not just going to have your spirit resurrected. We're not going to be ghosts like floating around with harps. That's baloney. We are going to have physical bodies. I am actually going to finally get to my goal weight. I'm not going to get to it here because I like bread. <laughs> God loves bread. He mentions it almost 500 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, bread is a metaphor for wisdom and wealth. It's the main thing that God provides to the slaves when they escape into the desert. It's the manna. That, and what, when do they get that manna, that bread in the Old Testament? Every single morning. They got daily bread. It's the first thing in eternity we're going to do. We're going to go to a feast and we're going to eat bread. And at the last supper, Jesus took a loaf of bread. He broke it. He said, this is just like my body for you. God wants to meet your daily needs. And, and so first one is your physical needs. The second one, he says, forgive us our debts. This is our emotional and relational needs. How many here are tired? Anyone here tired? Are you a little tired? How many have been more tired lately? You ever got home from a day of work and you sit on the couch and you take a little nap so you can rally to go to bed? <laughs> Do you know why you're tired? It's not because you're working too hard. You know why you're tired? Too much drama. It's not the hours you're working, it's the amount of drama in your life. God wants you to lower drama. You want more energy, you want more, you want more in life in your life? Go reconcile. Go forgive. What would happen if you were known as the person every room you walked into, debts lowered, forgiveness happened, grace was extended? I'll tell you what happened. Your wife would start loving you again, sir. Your kids would find you more pleasing. Your coworkers would enjoy you. You would get abundant life if you become a debt forgiver. And then the last one is spiritual health. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus took spiritual warfare, spiritual opposition seriously, and so should we. The devil is real, and he don't play fair. And sir, if you're not praying for your kids... With that understanding that Jesus took this serious, you're missing something. Just put this together. This is so powerful. God cares about your physical health. He cares about your emotional health. And he cares about your spiritual health. What's the point? God cares about all of you. And he wants you to know it every single day. I can't tell you how easy this is. I do this every morning. I've done this every morning for like 40 years. I just get up and I just, sat, I just get my cup of coffee. I sit down and I say, I got a father in heaven. I got a father in heaven. And I got a mission from that father for his kingdom. And he cares about my every physical need. I can't tell you how many mornings I've just said, God, I got this sciatic pain in my right leg. And I need your help today. God, I was a little sharp with my oldest son. He knows how to push my buttons. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Today, God, I'm going to forgive him and seek forgiveness from him. I can't can tell you, there's days, it's five minutes, four minutes. And there's some days I forget that prayer is an obligation. And I start remembering how much my father loves me. And 20 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by. 
where I'm just actually enjoying the fact that I do serve a God who cares about me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I love the way your pastor does this. He gets a little practical, real practical thing. What should I do? What should I challenge you? How should I pray? Uh, Jesus is so practical here. Let me just really quickly give you three really quick points. I'm going to go fast. So if you're writing, write fast. First of all, find a place. Verse 6, he says, go into your room. Find a place. Pick a place. Pick a place. Pick a place. Pick a place. If you have young children, um, you know, two or three young children, you know, they're in that stage. We are legion. You know what I'm talking about. You got to hide from them. You got to pick a place to hide from them. Little girl right there is turning her to mom. Like, oh, yeah, me? She's like, yeah, you. Pick a place, pick a place. Number two, expect an answer. Sit down with a good God, expecting him to be a good God. Get that little mindset that when you pray in the morning, the rest of the whole day is just discovering the way in which God is going to answer those prayers. Almost always he answers better than I ask. And here's my last one. Follow the plan, follow the plan, follow the plan, follow the plan. This, this, this is the Lord's Prayer. It's an outline and it's beautiful and it works and I never exhaust it. I never get tired of it. Follow the plan. This is then how you should pray. Jesus said, pray like this. Let's pray like this. And what you're going to find is if you're not one of those people that floats through life with your eyes never blinking and you have a hard time focusing when you pray the prayer of Jesus, it works. I got my place. My place is a little couch in our TV room. I sit on the right side right there. Every day I go down there, I get a cup of coffee first. I get my iPad and I get my real Bible. I started getting my real Bible out during COVID. My wife came to me one day and she said, um, I noticed in your devotions, you're not using your real Bible. I said, well, there's so many study aids in my iPad. She said, I want you to use your real Bible because sometimes our kids are coming downstairs and, and they think that you're just looking at scores on ESPN. They don't know you're meeting with God. And I said, you know why they think that? She said, no, why? Because sometimes I'm checking scores on ESPN. <laughs> so, you know, find your spot, open up to that Matthew 5, and just pray through it. Just take a few minutes. And if you'll do that week after week after week, what you're going to find is your stress is going to lower. And your fun's going to go up. Can I tell you one more story? God, I got done praying one day. And I'm just walking down the street. I'm just thinking about the time I have with the Lord in, in the morning. And I see this gal named Jerry. Now, I'd seen Jerry at church one other time. She'd come to church, and the entire time she was like this. I was one of those people, you look at them, you go, they're never going to come back to church. Some friend had brought her, and she was just kind of freaked out about church. And as I was walking down the street, I saw her, I said, that's that that's gal, Jerry. And she looked like she was about to cry. I crossed over the street. I said, I said, do you remember me? She said, you're the pastor. And I said, can I, can I help you? She said, I'm so mad at my boss. My boss called me into work, and this is the only day I have to study, and I'm so mad at her, and she yells at me, and I hate this job, and I don't even know why I'm telling you all this. I was like, I thought, I do. And then I said this one little thing. I just came out of my mouth before I thought, I said, can I pray for you? And her whole body said, no, I don't want that. And she said, yes, but her mouth said yes. So I just bowed, and I prayed this little prayer. I said, God, let her know that you're her father, and that you want to meet every one of her needs, physical and emotional. I don't know what's going on. Even spiritual, God. Show her that today in Jesus' name. Amen. She said, okay. She walked away. 
Three days later, I'm walking down the same street. She sees me. She runs across the street to me this time. She's smiling so big, it's like she was sleepwalking in her closet and got a hanger stuck in her mouth. I said, Jerry, what's going on? She said, I went to work after you prayed. And my boss, she came up to me and she said, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I don't know why I'm so mean to you. You're my best employee and I get all stressed out and I take it out on you and I'm giving you a raise and take the afternoon off. She said, do you think that was God? And I thought about it, yes. Are you saying, Pastor Kirk, that God is going to answer if I'll pray? I'm saying it, yes. Not always immediate. Not always in the exact way you expect him to. But I guarantee you, our God is the God who does more than we ever can ask or imagine. Amen? Can I pray for you? Father, convince us that you're our Father. That you have the authority that you said you had. And that you love us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Help us simply trust you enough to pray the way Jesus taught. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.